The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Chelsea beat Leeds, score a goal, not a drill, and we'll gloss over the Conti Cup final. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Happy Monday, guys. Uh, we're here to talk about a Chelsea win, believe it or not. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by The Athletic's Chelsea expert, Liam Toomey. Morning, Liam. Hello, Matt. I don't know about you, but I can't get over how sickeningly decadent it is for a football team to score seven goals in a match. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was quite the thing, wasn't it? But one was most welcome at Stamford Bridge on Saturday too. Uh, also here to revel in that glory is the Chelsea Academy graduate, Sam Parkin. How are you doing, Sam? Very good, Matt. Good to see you. Mm, likewise. Um, right, we can't put it off any longer. We've got to talk about it. Ah, sorry, that's that's muscle memory kicking in for a second there. We can talk about a win. Chilwell's ball in. It's gone in! Wesley Fofana! Chelsea finally score a goal in the Premier League! And it's the Frenchman, the big Frenchman, Wesley Fofana, who banks the opener! That one million, you're never comfortable. Because of the moment we've been in, the circumstances we play the game in, you know that it's 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 a fight to get over the line, and I think the players showed incredible courage and character to do that. Um, yes, we can improve, but the stage we're in, I think the the result, the clean sheet, is a lot for us to be happy about. Chelsea won Leeds United nil. What a relief! Hey, the Blues claiming their first win since the 15th of January, thanks to Wesley Fofana's second half header. Uh, Liam and I were there. Liam, it wasn't particularly pretty, but that doesn't matter, does it? So shocked was I at this performance and this win that I forgot to record a voice note at the final whistle. Can only apologise for that, but instead you get my more considered podcast voice rather than my slightly shrill to be heard over the PA system and and, and fan hubbub voice note voice. Um, it was what Graham Potter needed, ultimately. And that was the, the gist of my match piece afterwards was that he he coached this game as if getting to Dortmund depended on winning, and I felt that was particularly evident. It was it was evident in what he was saying before the game, where he was continually invited to you know talk about bigger picture things with Chelsea, and he was always he he was going beyond the general you know just focusing on the next match cliche. It very much seemed like he knew he had to win against Leeds. And then I thought the substitutions in the second half were very, very telling in terms of the way he tried to protect that lead. But they, the point is that they started well and they deserved to take the lead, didn't they? They played well in the first half. They created three very good chances. They did look comfortable in that back three system, I thought, pinning leads back. They started to lose control on the game towards the end of the first half, but then they picked up the intensity again at the start of the second and finally got that, that reward with, with Fafana's header. And then it was backs to the wall, Mourinho, Conte type stuff, uh, which we, we haven't really seen under Graham Potter before, but it showed how much I think he felt he needed the win. We've had pretty consistent messaging up to the last couple of weeks that, you know, he's, he's safe. The board have, have faith in him, long-term project, yada, yada, yada. And then, Tottenham and Southampton kind of shifted the tone a bit 
and the the nature of those performances created the possibility based on what we were hearing that you know if if these two games had gone badly from a performance perspective as well as results that he might be too far gone to recover so this was step one of Graham Potter trying to ensure that he is he remains the leader of this long-term project and, and step two is is clearly Dortmund. Yeah, Sam, as, as Liam mentions in his piece, it, that Potter was much more demonstrative on the touchline than, um, than he usually is in this game. But I, it was significant for all sorts of reasons. But particularly, I thought, because there were a lot of parallels with the Spurs game in, in that Chelsea started well in the first half, didn't get the goal, then let the opposition back into it, ran out of puff and, and conceded some silly goals. It, it is significant, isn't it, that, that they had that first half where they didn't get the goal, Leeds came back into it a bit, but they were able to score early in the second half. So whether that was something that Potter had said at half time or, or a stroke of luck or whatever, that felt like a key thing that they actually managed to wrestle back control in the game early in the second half and then get the goal. Yeah, de- definitely a, a positive. I think it's it's twofold though that you're, you're playing against a side who are lacking in conviction totally in front of goal. So whether Leeds would have scored if they were still there now is doubtful. That's with uh, the hindsight of seeing them at Fulham as well in their previous game. You know they're woefully underperforming in the final third, and Liam said, "Yeah, backs to the wall." There was a couple of nervy moments. I never really got the sense that they were fully knocking on the door and that Chelsea were going to concede. But it was important, I think, to yeah show that they can go again after losing their way in midfield towards the end of the first half and um, being able to kick on in the second. And, you know, there's going to be criticism, I think, whatever Chelsea do at the moment, unless they win three or four nil, that's not going to happen. I think this is a... It's not a small sample size now, is it? They've toiled in so many games, the front players not been able to be free scoring. This is going to be it probably until the end of the season. So, you know, they're going to be marginal victories, tight games. So I think it could have enormously backfired. I don't think the crowd would have accepted another late equaliser. I don't think the hierarchy probably would have accepted another late equaliser. So he's closed down the game at quite an early stage as well but it's proved to be a great decision. I thought that it looked like a bit of a diamond midfield, didn't it? 5-4-1, um, the deepest one with Fernandez, Kovacic either side and Gallagher running around in essence and trying to support Havertz. And it altered throughout that last 20 minutes with the introduction of the other substitutes. And I thought they reverted to the, the two behind Havertz later on, but it was a really good example of shoring things up and and again you know you're playing against a side that that aren't scoring goals so um so that probably helped as well we'll get to the uh, the second half subs soon Liam but in terms of the starting lineup back to a back three thought Chelsea looked much better for it and and Sam's right in that Leeds didn't particularly pose much of a, a threat going forward but I thought those three defenders Badia Shield, Koulibaly and Fafana all played really well and, and Koulibaly in particular is worth a bit of praise isn't it because he seems to be turning his form around a little bit yeah I thought I thought all three defenders as you say were impressive individually as well as collectively for Badia Shield, it seemed to be a bit of a return to form after losing his way against Southampton and Fafana looks physically very good now after his injury let's hope it stays that way but Koulibaly is probably the most notable because he was struggling so badly 
in the early months of his Chelsea career. And he did say, I remember his unveiling press conference, he, he said, it will probably take months for you guys to see the real Kaladu Kulibaly. And we thought maybe he was just managing expectations. Turns out he, he might have been bang on in terms of the time frame <laughs> because we saw precious little of one of the best defenders in Europe over the past 10 years for that time. But he was very, very calm. I thought he made, I think he made three um, blocks, three shot blocks. They were all memorable. They were all extremely important. And I think at least a couple of them prevented shots that Kepper might have had significant trouble saving. And just generally, I thought he marshaled that back three very well. It's We've grown used to over the last couple of years, things going to pieces whenever Thiago Silva's not there to be the adult in the room for too long. And Koulibaly has the experience to do that job and he has the technical ability as well as the physical capability. So it's just been about putting it all together for him into a performance that doesn't that that isn't undone by a damaging lapse in concentration or a silly foul, um, the kind of thing that he's been he's been going into. And I, I thought he he produced a, a, a pretty high level ninety minutes. Sam, we're going to talk about what you want to do in terms of team and formation for Dortmund later. But I thought for this game, it was a, a good example of, of why a back three uh, was was the right way to go. In that we just got. Obviously, I'd love to streak at a right wing back where normally you'd have James and, and there wasn't too much down that side, but just got Chilwell that bit further up the pitch and particularly in the first half, he, he had all the space down that left-hand side to, to put the ball in, something that he, he just didn't really do against Spurs because he was pinned further back by the nature of the position he was playing. Definitely, and, and almost from the kickoff, I think Enzo Fernandez tried to, to find him, had that glorious chance. I thought that was a brilliant bit of play, actually, and... You know, I thought at times in the first half it was a little bit static and that's why he, his movement was was so important, his starting position being high on that left-hand side. But I thought Kai Havertz actually coming deep, getting on the ball, that um, obviously um, passage of play was, was glorious and that's what it can do when you move the centre-halves because if Kai Havertz is playing up against his markers, that chance doesn't, doesn't come. So I thought those two... Players in particular, their jobs were really important. I thought that Phoenix as well, the way that he's always looking to find little pockets of space, he's moving them around. Those three, I thought, were were pivotal in, in making chances. But yeah, some of the statistics with Chilwell, I think it was the joint most touches in the, the opposition box and, and, and the most receipts of possession or whatever in the final third, which is which is incredible, really. I think 20 times or something he received the ball in... Um, in Leeds' defensive third. So, yeah, he, he was a constant, constant threat. And another point, they've been toiling from set pieces. That Fulham game. I mean, <laughs> it's something you normally see in League Two, League One, isn't it? Um, supporters getting so frustrated with the ball hitting the first man or being sailed wildly over hit. So, brilliant for him to get... Um, did he, I think he created the first chance for Fafana as well, yeah, with his delivery. So, yeah, but brilliant. Two balls on the money. And um, yeah, it was a bit of a weird header, wasn't it? For farmers, it was a bit, it was a bit looped. It was, it was odd. Saved it. it was right yeah, I've, I've watched it a few times, and and maybe the goalkeeper's position was a, a little bit off because um, it wasn't the fiercest of headers. But great to see Chilwell like that, and um, yeah, a bit of an imbalance, as you say, Matt. But mouthwatering to think in that back three now. There's a bit of solidity and some 
you know, high level performances coming from Badia Shiel and Fofana and, and Koulibaly, what James and, and Chilwell can do in tandem. I mean, it, we, Graham Potter's talked about it a lot, Liam, hasn't he? But he, he was right to lament the injury list. You do see the difference having Chilwell and Fofana in, in the defence makes it, you know, whether that be attacking, you know, Fofana got the goal and Chilwell was good going forward, as we said, but, but also at the back, it, it just added that, that bit of solidity. And they are two players that any team in the Premier League would miss. Definitely. And, and Potter drew particular attention after the game to Fofana and the speed that he gives Chelsea's backline and what that does for the way the entire team can set up. I mean, we know that Chelsea like to play high up the pitch. They like to try and dominate possession in the opposition half and, and pin them back with pressing. It's a lot easier to do that when you have the insurance policy of knowing that if the ball does go over the top, you have a defender that can out-sprint any striker. And I, I think, um, you know, Fafana certainly fits that bill. And, and he, as I said earlier, he looks physically right, which is something that we haven't seen since the autumn. And, and I think he was gone for so long, it was A, quite easy for people to forget that Chelsea had signed him, but also easy to forget why Chelsea convinced themselves to pay so much for him and why he was so highly rated at Leicester. This is a guy who's got a very special combination of abilities for a centre-back. And you see it as well from the attacking corner and defensive corners where Chelsea have been horrendous as well. Having Badia Shiel and Fafana, it struck me watching them all in the box. Chelsea actually had a pretty big team. I think they had a bigger team than Leeds on the weekend and that made a difference in both boxes. And then when you talk about Chilwell... You know, he's he's technically superb. His his interpretation of that position in the system is really good. It took him some time under Thomas Tuchel to learn how to play as a wing back. He'd never done it before when he was at Leicester. But now having made that adaptation, he he he's he does it so easily and in particular his timing of those runs in behind the Leeds defence was so good. I don't think he got caught offside once. And it was just a constant threat. It was always Chelsea's likeliest route to a goal from open play. And uh, and with him backing at full power, it adds a lot to Chelsea at both ends of the pitch. Uh, Sam, you're our resident striker. What are we going to do with Kai Havertz? He had that, that great chance in the first half, which I think you, you can put down as a good save from Melier and say maybe if it, it was on his preferred foot, he would have scored. But also he's got one goal in 12 games. Is he just there because he can hold up the ball better than Aubameyang and he's more used to the Premier League than David Fafana? Or is it is it going to be worth making a change at some point? Because he doesn't look like scoring at the moment. Yes. Move on. Um He's the best option and we're going to come on to it in a minute. And I've been racking my brains to come up with something funky to do to overturn this deficit. But at the moment, I think he's the best option. He's never going to be a prolific striker. I think we know that. I would still like to see him get a run of games, probably in a 4-2-3-1 as a 10. I'm not sure... If it's ever going to happen for him, really, as a as a number nine in Chelsea's lineup, but yeah, without Aubameyang for the Champions League, Fofana is obviously an unknown quantity, probably at the highest level right now, despite having a great start to life in terms of his goal scoring. Um, yeah, and and have a, I wouldn't be too critical of the one that he tried to dink. I thought that was an intelligent effort. He's an intelligent player. Um, 
the keeper did go down. It was a brilliant save, actually. You know, he's kind of trailing on. Um, I wouldn't be too critical there. He's a left-footed player. Yes, he could have probably driven it towards the far post, but invariably a goalkeeper goes down there. So it was quite a cute attempt. I loved the pass, like I touched on earlier. You know, I felt that unless Chelsea were breaking on kind of the counter-attack when they nicked the ball, there wasn't a great deal of movement to open up Leeds. So I thought that was a really brilliant bit of individuality there to, to create that opportunity for Chilwell. So I didn't think he had his worst game. I thought Felix, Sterling and Havertz were good. Uh, no better than that. But again, we're going to do it in a minute. That's the front three at the moment because no one else is screaming that they should be getting a game. No one, None of the four players that have been brought in have shown enough to, to get in that side. So I thought there was enough in all three's performances at the weekend to persist with... Um, yeah, with an area of pitch where you're just hoping they get more chemistry, a bit more confidence. But go back to what I said earlier, this is it for the season. They're not going to be free scoring, but we'll certainly take more games like the weekend. OK, Liam's got to you. That's clear. Uh, one last <laughs> thing on this game. Mason before... Burstow! <laughs> <laughs> before we move on, I wanted to talk about the, the subs, Liam, because there was a, a, an air of bemusement around the stadium when, when Felix, who was excellent, and, and Sterling were withdrawn and, and Gallagher and Zakaria came on. It comes back to that thing you were talking about earlier and in your piece about how, how Potter was playing for for tomorrow as well as today, and, and well, today as well as tomorrow, as I should say, and, and you know, taking it one game at a time sort of thing but I also thought it was it was a tactical triumph for him wasn't it because it totally worked what he did Gallagher was brilliant when he came on Zachariah helped shore up the game even Chukwemeka to an extent as well and so whilst it, it looked a little strange at the time it, it was the right call it worked to an extent I think obviously the the system change as, as Sam mentioned it was more of a diamond in midfield as soon as as soon as those two were introduced it was like a it was like a five-man low block, then a then a narrow diamond midfield, and then just Havertz up front on his own. And it worked from a defensive sense because what had been happening in the preceding 10 minutes or so was that Leeds were beginning to figure out that they had a man advantage in the middle of midfield and they were beginning to get a, foot, a real foothold and get the ball into the feet of Somerville in dangerous areas where he was he was beginning to cause problems. And so I think that's that's defensively what the changes were designed to address. There was a trade-off, though, in that I think for for a little while, and it was only about seven minutes until Chip Ramika came on, and, it, and you know it was kind of tweaked again. For those seven minutes, Chelsea had zero counter-attacking threat. They had no out ball. It was just hoofing the ball up towards Havertz, who is obviously not a target man. He will try and fight for those balls, but he's not going to win that many of them. Um, and they just had no way to get out. And it actually made, it also made Enzo Fernandez's job harder as someone who, in the same way that, you know, it would have made Jorginho's job harder, a player in that, in that role in the team, they're only as good as the passing options they have when they receive the ball. And if you've got this narrow midfield diamond and no one really pushing up outside, you're very easy to press and you have to play riskier passes. And so Chelsea were just giving the ball back to Leeds and Leeds weren't necessarily hurting them, but it was kind of wave upon wave of Leeds dashing themselves against the Chelsea wall. And, and even though they weren't creating like a cascade of clear chances, there was real nerves in the stadium just because of the context and the run Chelsea had been on. And you did get the sense that 
you know, it wasn't out of the realms of possibility that Chelsea could make a an individual error in that system and and let Leeds back into it. And that's why I felt Potter actually tweaked it within seven minutes because I think he recognised that you can't just, with more than 20 minutes to play against the relegation struggler, completely punt on any attacking threat. And so he brought on Chukwamika and almost immediately, I think within a couple of minutes, Chelsea had a really promising counter-attack that Gallagher and Chukwamika ignited among themselves didn't quite come to anything and then in the 77th minute there was a really surreal moment where the game was becoming very transitional and that's what Leeds wanted they wanted it to be a really open game or Hawaii football as Graham Potter called it afterwards that's a term we had to look up apparently it's a Scandinavian football term for wide open disorganized football who knew yeah, if you go on my Twitter timeline, you can see the full discourse about this. It's absolutely <laughs> fascinating, but we don't have the time to go through it all. There's a lot of theories, but waves, like, because you surf Maybe. in Hawaii. I initially thought it was quite insulting to the people of Hawaii that they're disorganized, but apparently it's like it goes in waves, like the waves that you surf in Hawaii. So sort of makes sense. Could do, yeah. yeah I, I never thought of it that way. But um, <laughs> in, the, in the 77th minute, a Leeds attack broke down. Chelsea push forward from their own box and they were pushing forward with Chilwell on the right-hand side of the pitch because everything was kind of disorganised and broken. And rather than push forward, he had numbers with him and ahead of him to go and attack the Leeds defence. He basically pulled the ball out and dribbled it over towards the left and recycled possession. That was the clear direction that Potter wanted to take. He wanted control and there were boos around Stamford Bridge, really loud boos because the the fans were really frustrated. They wanted a second goal. They wanted closure, basically. And so that 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 was quite an interesting moment for me because it showed, I think, that there, there was still a tension and a not being on the same page just below the surface between, between Potter and, and the crowd. All right, well, that was Leeds then. Premier League-wise, it's Leicester away next week. They're having an even more bad vibe season than Chelsea. Then three home games, Everton, Villa... And Liverpool, the race for Europe is back on. Speaking of Europe, we'll talk about the big Champions League game coming up on Tuesday later, but it's high time we got to the Conti Cup final. Would you like to become the headline sponsor of the most authoritative Chelsea podcast on the planet? Would you like to be front and centre on straight out of Cobham alongside Liam and Simon and Dom and Sam and Matt? Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of highly engaged blues fans every month? Well, of course you would. Your brand can advertise with us now. Our skilled and charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. team you know our standards are higher than that but you can't concede three goals against a team that hasn't won a lot and they haven't won a lot domestically and for me that was the biggest difference today they were significantly hungrier than my team well as producer lucy said to me on sunday chelsea can't have two nice things in the same weekend this season therefore on sunday the blues were well beaten by arsenal in the conti cup final emma hayes team slipping to a 3-1 defeat at Selhurst Park. Our friend Jesse Parker-Humphreys was there and sent us this report. 
Um, what's uh, rubbish? Afternoon, to be honest. Uh, the last time Graham Potter's Chelsea side won the Premier League, Emma Hayes' Chelsea side uh, did not. And it proved to be again the same again this weekend. 3-1 defeat to Arsenal in the Conti Cup. I think this game always felt very easy to be like it was going to be a gimme, especially because we'd won last weekend. But I think for a start, we really saw today how much Arsenal needed to beat us. Um, you know, they hadn't won in four years and... I think you could see that from the, from the way they started it. The, it's a bit of a cliche, but they did just want it more. But also, Emma Hayes played the same lineup as last week, and there were the same problems that we saw in, in the first half of last week. Didn't really feel like she looked to find solutions to those issues, whereas Arsenal were like, we're going to double down, we're going to exploit them, and that's what they did. Um, Chelsea took the lead incredibly early on. Um, Arsenal napping but the intensity just wasn't there to kind of back up this this 1-0 lead from the Sam Kerr header and you know Arsenal hit back with two goals very quickly uh, they were deserved goals to be honest they were absolutely all over us we couldn't get our foot on the ball at all Hayes makes this first half substitution bringing on Kadisha Buchanan taking off Yelena Kankovic which felt very rash given that we don't have a whole number, lot of attacking midfielders fit at the moment you know to take Kankovic off after only 38 minutes it felt strange that she hadn't started Buchanan in the first place but the the goal that really killed the game was the Neve Charles own goal um, don't really really know what to say just one of those goals that you concede when everything is, is going to crap basically you know at half time I kind of felt the game was done other people felt Differently, I think what didn't help in the second half was that, again, constant substitutions, formation changes from Hayes. Every time momentum seemed to be building, there was a switch and, and Chelsea just couldn't find that, that extra level. Back-to-back, 3-1 Conti Cup final defeats for the club, which, you know, last year didn't stop them going on to win the league and the FA Cup but it's a very very tricky month ahead and it will be not just a a big blow confidence wise it will be a flag for for every other team that's got to play Chelsea that you know this team can be rattled because at 2-1 Chelsea were playing as if they were they were 4-0 down and, and there was no need to to be totally honest you know yeah, they were 2-1 down after 25 minutes, but there was plenty of time against the team that they've shown they can get better off multiple times. But, you know, we've seen this almost every season from Hayes' sides that there comes a point every year where they just go into full full meltdown, you know. It was a bit the Conti Cup last year, but especially Wolfsburg last year. You know, the year before that, it was kind of the Champions League final. But there is this sense that if you can get a Chelsea early on, if you can get a couple of early goals, they won't be able to find their, their way back into it. And and to be honest, that's, that's how Arsenal uh, came out on top of today. Liam, you watched this. Emma Hayes was really critical of her players after the game, which is not particularly like her. Was, was that criticism justified? Yeah, surprisingly so. Um, relatively recently, I wrote a piece advising Graham Potter how to talk like a Chelsea coach, and one of the do-nots was throw your own players under the bus. 
Um, but I suppose when you've been in in post as long as Emma Hayes has and you've achieved so much that you can maybe get away with a little bit more. There was an element of the players not, not being good enough. It was primarily disappointing because they started the game so well with such a good intensity and they got that brilliant goal, Gura Wrighton's cross, a, a classic Wrighton-Sam Kerr combination to open up the game. And you just felt they were really well positioned to take Arsenal apart. And from there, they instead, they steadily lost control. And the, the second and third goals in particular were, were self-inflicted wounds, the really soft penalty. And then on the stroke of half-time, the absolute killer goal, conceding that header from a corner where two two defenders get out-jumped and, and Katrin Berger gets completely lost coming for the ball. Was just a was just a killer for Chelsea, and they and they never looked like they had the composure or the creativity to get back into it. I thought they really missed um, Frank Kirby and Panilla Harder, someone to produce a little bit of magic from a more central area. It seemed to be just get the ball wide and and put crosses in, and frequently it was just Kerr up against numerous defenders in the box, and they found a perfect ball in the first half with Wrighton, but it has to be perfect in that situation, and Ar- Arsenal just looked quite comfortable. And in fact, it could have been even worse because Kadisha Buchanan gave away an absolute cast iron penalty that I can't believe wasn't given for a foul on Caitlin Ford. Um, and so, yeah, it was just a it was a disappointing day. And I do think you look through the Chelsea team, the player performances weren't, you wouldn't see many that were good enough. Tactically, though, I'm not sure Chelsea were amazing. It often feels to me that they they really lack a Jorginho Enzo Fernandez type midfielder, and to just get hold of the ball and really start to dictate games because it all it often feels like when I watch Chelsea against really high quality opponents they they struggle to get hold of the ball for stretches of of matches and when they do then they maybe don't ha- quite have the composure or the direction that you would expect given the quality they've got. And maybe they just need someone in the middle of the pitch to knit it all together. But yeah, I mean, Emma Hayes knows this team better than anyone. And if she's saying that the player performances are were, were the primary reason they lost, then I guess we have to defer to her judgment. And she's probably also looking at this from a motivational point of view. This was the first trophy of the season on the line. And this can be a, a very powerful incentive for Chelsea now to really push them on for the rest of the season because they won't want this feeling again at the hands of Arsenal or or anyone else. Opportunity as well, Sam, to bounce straight back. We spoke on Thursday with Jesse about this really tough march with uh, Man United, the doubleheader against Lyon with Man City sandwiched in between that as well. But it's Brighton at Kings Meadow on Wednesday. I guess the players will have Emma Hayes' words ringing in their ears when they go out for that one against a, a team who've caused them problems in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um... Yeah, disappointing uh, performance, and um, yeah, it was um, it was unusual to hear Emma in those those terms. But you know, she also spoke about the desire, I think, of the Arsenal players in terms of them not being the serial winners that Chelsea have been over the the, the last period, and maybe that had a little bit of an effect. So that will hurt the players as well. That maybe Arsenal were more motivated for this game, or. The, the performance levels would suggest that. So there's no margin for error, is there, in the WSL? Um, even with a couple of games in hand, they need to respond with a 
with a victory uh, and look forward to what could still be a brilliant end to the season. But as you say, you know, I remember there was a defeat at Reading, wasn't there, after I think Chelsea peppering the goal for 90 minutes and, and maybe only seeing one or two shots on their, their goal. And invariably that does happen maybe once a season. Um, so they need to be on their metal to respond in the in the right manner on Wednesday. Yeah, well, commiserations for Chelsea. Congratulations to Arsenal. Magnificent weekend for them. The men's team managed to come from 2-0 down at home to the worst team in the Premier League and the women won the least significant trophy in English women's football, but it won't stop them talking about it for the rest of the week, probably the rest of the month and the rest of the season as well. Okay, we'll get back to the men's team next and Dortmund on Tuesday. Chelsea take on Borussia Dortmund, then needing to overturn a one-goal first-leg deficit to reach the Champions League quarterfinals. We know there'll be at least one change to the team that started Saturday's game as Benoit Badia-Shiel not in the Champions League squad. I've asked Sam and Liam to pick a starting eleven. Let's see what they've come up with. Uh, Sam, you can go first. It's going to be the shortest segment in the uh, the history <laughs> of straight out of Cobham here. I'll give you a little bit of my thought process. There's not going to be anything to... Uh, too unusual here but they played well in Dortmund played well with the back four and in terms of a selection for Graham Potter I'm sure this will be discussed because if Reese James is fit he comes back in you've got Koulibaly and Fofana to play in the middle and it means not having to throw Chalaber into the into the mix if he's going to be the defender that that makes up the 11 so I could see the merits to the back four you could put Sterling over on the left hand side maybe Ziyech on the right and that and just encourage Reese James to get forward from right back. But I'm kidding myself a little bit here. I think that you know, they found a formula at the weekend. It would be probably the right thing to to stick with it. Put James in at right wing back and put Chalaber into the back three. Where he would fit in, I'm not so sure. Liam off the mics has said that maybe Fofana hasn't played on the left previously, but I'd maybe go with him there just because he's... Has he got more big game experience than Trev? Probably not, but um, he's played the last couple. I'd have him on the left, maybe of the back three, and then put Trev Chalaber on the right hand side, just because he's um, he's played his best football probably in that role. Okay, so you've got a back three of Chalaber, Koulibaly, and Fafana, wing backs of Chilwell and James. Uh, who are you put in as the two in the middle? Fernandez plus one. I'm playing Kovacic, yeah. I thought, I thought he was really good and we've not mentioned him so far today. I think he's a pretty special footballer. I, I really do. Captain I Kovacic. Yeah. I, I don't think I noticed that. I watched this last night. Uh, bear that in mind. I didn't notice until we passed the armband to Kepa, which <laughs> threw me even further. <laughs> oh, what's going on here? But I, I just think Kovacic, when I think about it, uh, listen, I'm not comparing him to the top midfielders maybe in the Premier League or in the in the world, but... He just it always is in control of the uh, of the situation. He doesn't seem to give the ball away ever when he's being pressurised. And I think that obviously having that length of time on the pitch will do him the world of good. So I'd start him maybe and then have have Loftus Cheek maybe up your sleeve for for later in the game if he tires. So yeah, that that would be my two him and Fernandez again, and then same front three. I don't think there's there's anyone knocking on the door. Uh, Mudrik, you would have hoped by now would have been up to speed and and have been producing uh, better performances, but he's not. So yeah, Sterling and um, Felix, um, either side of uh, my boy now Havertz. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm guessing, Liam, you're not going to make too many changes to that. But the Mudrick one is fascinating, isn't it? Because he has shone in the Champions League this season. But I mean, there was, as you put in your in your piece after the um, the Leeds game, it never looked likely he was going to get on on Saturday. So presumably that means he's unlikely to start on Tuesday. Yeah, I would be very, very surprised. I think he looked electric, didn't he, at Anfield when he came on as a substitute and we thought, wow, if this is what he's going to bring from day one, he'll be starting sooner rather than later. Then he got a couple of starts and I think we saw a few more of the warts that he's got to iron out. You know, he he seemed to be a bit too eager to impress or maybe trying to do a little bit too much. I don't know whether that's the price tag or just new surroundings. He He's a very confident personality and I think maybe that's part of it. But he, we saw, you know, examples of him maybe trying flicks in areas where he shouldn't. Uh, he was making good runs at times and not being found, but when he was being found, his touch was off. He just wasn't quite at the level. And that that particularly showed up, I think, in the first leg in Dortmund when he had a couple of very good opportunities to hurt them with space in front of him and, and his his touch just wasn't quite there. He he would run into a good position and not take the ball with him. And the other thing tactically, when we're coming up with a team for this game, I think more than any, any of Chelsea's other attackers, he's a true winger. And that means you can only really play him if you're playing four at the back because you can't play wing backs and true wingers. So I, I think Mudrick is probably off the bench from a confidence point of view, but also from a tactical point of view, because I, I will be sticking with what worked against Leeds, that framework. Not too many changes from what Sam did, although I would put Chalibur on the left, not because he, I think he's inherently better in that role, but just because he's shown such versatility in his career to this point that I think he, he would just take to it and it wouldn't phase him. And he's done it in, in big matches as well. So, yeah, Chalabur, Koulibaly in the middle, Fafana on the right, James coming in right wing back. Hopefully we can see a little bit more of full power James in the attacking half of the pitch and Chilwell carries on where, where he was against Leeds. In central midfield, it's Enzo plus one, but I, I, I would, you know, I would give serious thought. Ultimately, I'm not going to do this, but I would give serious thought to, to starting Loftus-Cheek because I think... When he's played alongside Enzo recently, I think they've shown signs of being a pretty good partnership. And the one question I have about Kovacic is just off the ball, his defensive positioning is not always great. And we saw even examples of that against Leeds where Enzo's one weakness is that he can occasionally fly into tackles that he can't make and commit himself. And if Kovacic isn't in the right position, then there were a couple of times where Leeds just found themselves completely beyond Chelsea's midfield running at the running at the defence. And it didn't matter because it was Leeds. It might matter when it's Dortmund. But ultimately, I am going to go with, with Enzo and Kovacic because I think the thing that Kovacic does give you is an incredible ability to dribble through a press and turn defence into attack. And that's going to be really important for Chelsea, I think, in this game when they're trying to turn around a 1-0 deficit. We've seen Kovacic be really valuable against big teams in the Champions League because he's able to do that. And then in attack, yeah, I think it has to be the same front three. Mount isn't available, um, so that's not even a conversation. And as the game goes on, I think, you know, you've got options from the bench. I think Mudrik could be a real weapon as the game becomes more stretched. But as a starting alignment, I think those three 
um, Havertz with Joao Felix and Sterling either side of him are, are the best you've got. All right. Well, in terms of Dortmund, they beat Leipzig 2-1 on Friday nights. So they've had an extra day's rest. I guess that might be countered by the fact they have to travel. Their goal scorer from the first leg, Karim Adeyemi, is injured, so he won't play. They have won their last 10 games in a row in all competitions. But if we're looking for crumbs of comfort, they've only won eight of their last 28 away in the Champions League and they've been beaten on six of their last seven visits to England. And here's the kicker. Chelsea have won all three Champions League ties in which they've lost the away leg first 1-0. In all three cases, they won the second leg by a two-goal margin. So there's going to be a 2-0 win for Chelsea on Tuesday night. Uh, that's my prediction. Liam, what do you think? Can Chelsea do this? I mean, they're coming up against a team in scintillating form. They can definitely do it. They're definitely capable. They produced enough chances to win the away leg, never mind this one. But it comes down to how ruthless can they be? We, I think we saw in Dortmund one of the more average Dortmund teams that I've seen in, in the final third. I don't think they've got that individual firepower that we've seen when they had Haaland and Sancho and people like that. It really is, Bellingham is the one talent that jumps out at you and and that's it. But they're a confident team, Chelsea are not. And on the balance of things, you would maybe have more confidence in them to be ruthless with their chances uh, and not make mistakes at the back. Chelsea need to play close to a perfect game just because they're going up against a team that is in an extremely good rhythm at both ends of the pitch. And that's always quite difficult to to overcome. But they definitely have the quality to score at least two goals. And if they put it together defensively, they can definitely keep Dortmund quiet enough to win this tie. What do you think, Sam? I think they might score Dortmund, but yeah, I think Chelsea have got it in them to turn it around. I think it could go to the bitter end. That's. I think it could be similarities to Saturday as well. I think it could be tense towards the end and I think it may need a lot of game management. But I think Chelsea could get over the line. Liam made the, made the point. I think James, I know that we're putting a lot on his shoulders, but if he can get into... If they can give him the instruction and give him the licence to really raid down that right-hand side, we know how important he is his importance is greater than anyone else when he's fit and flying so even if it means sacrificing a little bit of the bodies you flood forward or you just have that safety net on the right hand side get Reese James up there get him into shooting positions get him to the byline and and hopefully him and him and Chilwell can work in unison and you can just safeguard against the counter-attack maybe with a little bit of sensible positioning with the midfield players and hopefully there'll be a little bit more attacking threat but yeah, I think well, I think it could be a similar night to how it was towards the tail end of Saturday's win over Leeds. I think it could be tense and it could be, you know, shoring things up late on in the day. Well, listen, the good news is uh, that producer Lucy has declined the opportunity to attend the match, which increases Chelsea's chances of progressing roughly tenfold. Whatever happens, we'll let you know how they got on and how it happened in our Thursday show. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, there is none. Uh, the under-21s are at Man United tonight as we record and the under-18s didn't play. So I'll roll straight on to ask you what you've got on your agenda for this week, Liam, please. I will be going to the Dortmund game with Simon. Um, so hopefully that's enough firepower to, to cover Chelsea's, potentially Chelsea's last meaningful match of the season. And then beyond that, honestly, this week, more than most weeks, will be conditioned by the result because we don't fully know 
where things stand with Potter right now and what the mood of the club will be depending on the result of that game. So we've not made too many cast iron content plans for the remainder of the week just yet. Uh, there is some good Chelsea stuff up on the Athletic as well as Liam's post-match thoughts from the Leeds game. Liam Tham has a piece up on Ben Chilwell and Chelsea's tactics. And James Horncastle's written about Tammy Abraham. He's having a few struggles in Rome, but there is a potential return to Chelsea or maybe Man United, depending on what paper you read uh, in the offing for him. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. That'll do us for today, though. My thanks to Jesse for their contributions on the Conti Cup final and to Sam and to Liam as well. We'll be back with you later in the week. For now, though, it's goodbye. The Athletic.